you have been cordially invited to the Eternal Slumber Party. Jesus Christ, that was really bright. Sorry, my camera had to get fixed. Had had to get my camera fixed, you know? You take your dogs in, cameras in. Your camera has no balls anymore? <laughs> my camera has no oh, balls. No balls camera. No balls in this household. We are a balls-free household right now. Same. I wish I had a cup holder. Or like, I guess I could keep it here. It's just insanely hot in this room. So I need water, and this is my water bottle. It's my emotional support water bottle, because... This is... Okay, I literally... One of the ladies that works in the company next to ours was like, Oh my god, you're such a millennial. You bring your phone to the bathroom every time. And I was like, okay. Um... I have a problem. It's fine. And then she was like, do you also have a water bottle that you take everywhere with you? And I was like, yeah, I sure do. Is that a millennial thing? And she was like, it's such a millennial thing. And then now every time she sees me filling up my water bottle, she's like, there's your water bottle. (laughs) Like, why is she so obsessed with your pee habits? Um, just just wondering, just general question. I mean, someone's got to be obsessed with them. Do they? Actually, though? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Okay. I've decided. Okay. So, should we introduce this as the first official episode of the podcast? This is our first time talking to people. Don't need to get so emotional about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the epitome of anyone who talks to you you don't need to get so emotional about it yeah oh it's our first spot it's our first episode oh get over it jesus wow i'm so jaded jesus okay (laughs) um hi hi hello are you ready for our slumber party we're we're having a slumber party the eternal slumber party cozy because we are dead and never gonna die at the same time we are trapped forever at the slumber party join us as we watch movies and tv shows and talk about random things and scary stories all the stuff that you do at a slumber party here in a podcast yeah gonna be talking about whatever we want and for however many episodes we want and there's gonna be little to no structure because it's us (laughs) because it's our podcast and we do what we want and if you don't like it, start your own podcast. Good luck naming it. Let me tell you that. But also... <laughs> Let me tell you what. Good luck naming your own fucking podcast. It's hard. Coming up with names. So yeah, I guess let's dive into it. Actually, before we before we jump in, should we introduce ourselves? Yeah, I guess so. Um, who goes first? I'm Margot. Hi. I'm... Kirsty, hello. Hello, that's us. Hey, hi, hello. So, yeah. Um, this this first little arc, our first uh deep dive thing, we're calling it Final Girl Core. Um, 
we could also consider it movies where you watch it and go, good for her. And the first movie that we chose to watch was Jennifer's Body. Who, which you've seen before. Yes. I had not seen until we watched it. This was probably my fourth or fifth time seeing the movie. The first time I watched this movie was October 2020. A lovely time to watch a movie like this. Yeah. Um, I was at my parents' house in Wisconsin. Um, it was around my birthday, and I was born in October, so of course I'm watching scary movies. Lights were out. Lake was outside uh, making spooky lake sounds. Watched the movie for the first time and said, yeah, this is going to be ingrained into my brain forever, and I'll never be able to stop thinking about it. And then I proceeded to watch it four more times, and I plan on watching it again in, in October with my mom because she's never seen it. And I was telling her I like this movie a lot. And she's like, I want to see it. And I'm like, I don't think you're going to like it. But okay, let's watch it. Uh, only one way to find out. Maybe she'll love it. Maybe she'll think that the themes are just empowering. You never know. But yeah, so all of my notes are just things that I really want to talk about because um, I have a captive, o captive audience for me to talk about uh, this movie that I love so much. Yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time. Tell me, talk to me about Jennifer's body. Tell me, tell me all about it. So this movie came out in 2009 and I do not mm -hmm. think it did well. Um, I had... It did not. It was like a flop. It flopped. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 46%. IMDb gave it a 5.4. Common Sense Media, 3 out of 5 um, Google Reviews is a 4.4, but I feel like Google Reviews are always so weird. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason to how Google Reviews work. But Jennifer's Body yeah. was not well-received when it came out. Um, some people say it's because of how the movie was marketed. I don't have a source for that. It's just things I remember seeing on Twitter or Tumblr posts, like, before I started watching it, is Jennifer's Body was not marketed correctly. Everyone thought you were going to get, like, a yeah. sexy cheerleader slasher, and that's not what this movie is at all. Um, I like to think it's very much a commentary on how female friendships and queer relationships are perceived. I think that you have a very good point with that. I think the other thing, too, is it it turned the idea of... Because at the time, slashers up until then were made for a male audience. And it took the concept of a male audience-driven genre and was like, no, actually, this one's not for you. This one, we're going to, we're going to, like, turn the camera back on you in a way. Yeah. And, like, you're going to have to see a, the other side of this coin, <laughs> basically. Oh, which um, we should probably have said this earlier spoilers this podcast is gonna have so many spoilers oh yeah just kind of assume spoilers with this podcast just assume spoilers um if we are talking about something we are going to talk about every single part of it there will be spoilers if you don't want to get spoiled don't listen i'm sorry you're not gonna be able to listen to the episode like <laughs> we'll tell you what we've watched uh, you can pause the episode there, watch the thing, and then come back. So, anyway, spoilers ahead. Um, which I did, before you jumped on, uh, before this recording, I did watch a trailer for 
Jennifer's body. Because I wanted to see what the trailer was. Because I kind of remember when this was coming out. We would have been, like, 13. I was, like, 13 when this movie was coming out. Yeah. Um, And it was rated R. So I wouldn't have been allowed to see it in theaters, obviously, because I would have been 13. Um, It was very much... Jennifer's the hot girl at school. Needy's a dork. Oh yeah. my god, is Jennifer killing people? Whoa! Oh, she's killing boys. I go both ways. Which... <laughs> no, this movie... Every time I watch it, the more convinced I am that this movie is a commentary on how women, especially queer women and sexual women are treated within society and, like, how we view them. But one thing I really want to talk about, um, did you see the... Did you look at the soundtrack? Like, who's on the soundtrack? I didn't. Here, let me... Pull it up real fast. Let me pull it up. Um, so, we have Florence and the Machine with Kiss with a Fist. Oh, that's right. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew that one. Um, again, this came out in 2009. So, this has a lot of pop punk alt rock powerhouses like new perspective by panic at the disco love that song um teenagers by Haley williams we have cute is what we aim for all time low cobra starship like some big alt rock names pop punk names yeah only reason i bring that up is i think it is so ironic that these bands that were huge in 2009 are on this soundtrack about a girl who is abused by an alt-rock band. And the band gets away with it until years later when a victim's friend goes to get justice. How long is it between the end of the movie and the beginning of the movie? Um, it, it doesn't say in the movie, but I do imagine that it would be a few years. In my mind, it's a few well, yeah. years. And not because they're they're seventeen, right? How old are they? Um, they're seniors, right? I don't know. Let me look up. But they're teenagers. Uh, Jennifer's old enough to drive, at least. So we know that they are at least sixteen. So is Needy. Needy can also drive. Yes. Um, it doesn't seem to say. Well, so I'm assuming, because they mention something about junior year, so I'm assuming 17. Yeah, we'll just say they're 17. So, still minor, a minor girl gets abused by a pop punk band. I just think that's so ironic considering now, especially with um, some bands that may be on the soundtrack. Well, the other thing I was thinking about was, like, um, Needy being convicted as an adult. Yeah. Which would put her in the women's institution, which means that she could be there for less than a year at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if she was tried as an, uh, tried as an adult and then put into the women's correctional facility, like, as even as young as 16. Because she does kill Jennifer in a pretty brutal way. We as the audience understand. And I will touch on that a little bit more. Um, But it's pretty brutal. And for her mom to like walk in and just see Needy holding a knife, stabbing her daughter. 
Like, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. And when you consider Needy was probably also blamed for the other murders. What's with that face? I went on a bit of a tangent. What? Um, Kyle Gal- Galner, who played uh, the punk kid. What was the punk Colin. kid? Colin. Uh, he was also in Scream. I think I saw that when I was looking stuff up, too, actually. Yeah. Our little scary, silly boy. Our little silly boy. You're such um, college I, girls. So I just got distracted. Because I was like, he looks really familiar. Which Scream was he in? He was in... Oh, he was in Scream 6. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Mm, you haven't watched all those movies, right? No, I think I last saw five with emma roberts and then i haven't seen six yet nope that's, that's four. four yes then i'm two behind yeah so five is the one with uh jenna ortega i'm sorry i'm behind i've been watching those with dr boyfriend and you know what med school does not leave a lot of time for my hobbies only when your hobbies involve dr boyfriend my mom's gonna listen to this podcast <laughs> oh i didn't even think about it like that <laughs> what were you thinking <laughs> I don't know, just the fact that you said you weren't doing hobbies because Dr. Boyfriend wasn't here. Well, I, uh, you know what? Cut that out. We're just going to cut that part out. Jesus. Apparently he was also in Nightmare on Elm Street. That makes sense. Fun fact. Good for him. He seems like a Good kind of... He seems like... I want to call him a kid as if 2009, he's not now super old. And by super old, I mean like an established adult. Like, he's just a baby. He's a child. Oh, he's in Scream 5, not in Scream 6. Continue with Jennifer's body. Okay, so we're gonna jump back and we're gonna just, here we are again. So, this movie, yeah, Jennifer's body, one thing I want to talk about is that we never get to know Jennifer the human. We only get to know Jennifer the succubus. Pretty much. Is she technically a succubus? I think she's a succubus, um, mostly because all of her demon activity does first involve something sexual. She did have, like, she becomes a demon because she wasn't a virgin, that kind of thing. Um, But this movie is Jennifer's body. It's Mm -hmm. about her body, not her. And we never really get to know Jennifer the person. We only know that she was kind of mean. She's friends with Needy. She's a cheerleader, she likes this band, and allegedly she's slept around a little bit. And the reason I say allegedly is because I do think that the movie purposefully does try to keep it very ambiguous with how much sexual, I don't know how to phrase this, like how sexual she has been. Which the thing is, she does tell, like Needy goes to the band and the band assumes... So the band assumes that Jennifer is a virgin. Needy overhears it, and Needy's like, yeah, she is a virgin, and it's better than sleeping with a creep like you, and then storms off. Then she immediately goes and tells Jennifer, and she's like, those guys are creeps, they just think you're a virgin. And then Jennifer's like, well, I'm not a virgin. I'm not even a backdoor virgin. Like, and that hurts so much. Like, Jennifer tells Needy that she isn't a virgin. But then in the van, Jennifer says, no, I am a virgin. Which I think she's lying to try to, like, save herself because she thinks she's going to be assaulted. And I think in her mind, her being a virgin will save her from that. Um, But she does, like, lie, saying she's not experienced, 
all of that. So then the band is like, sweet, she's a virgin, love it, we need this for the ritual. Kills her, the ritual goes wrong, the needy finds out in the books if it's not a full virgin, then the spell could go wrong, like the ritual could go wrong, the demon stays behind and needs to feast on human flesh. So it never explicitly says succubus, it never explicitly states if Jennifer actually has had sex or at least penis and vagina sex. At most, she may have done the poop hole loophole, but I it's never you just said those words. Yeah. Oh god. It's never clearly stated or confirmed what she has done. Uh, it apparently well, Roman is the person who took her um, anal virginity in the movie, which is Chris Pratt. Which what a jump scare that was! I forgot he was in the movie. Quite frankly, you, I the moment when we were watching it and our heads just swung to each other, just like the whiplash. Like oh <laughs> my god, are, are you seeing what I'm seeing? This man, hello, so weird. Who is this? Which. It makes sense that he would be the one playing that role because he would have, this would have been pre-Parks and Rec. Um, he's just kind of getting small roles. It's a small talking part. It makes sense that he would be in that this kind of movie in this context, but it's just so surprising to me whenever I see actors like that. So that was spooky. What I will also say is that we also never really get to know anything about Jennifer's family in this movie. Yeah, we literally never see a family member of hers until we see her mom at the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, She's not humanized. She's literally not humanized until she dies. Like, for real. Yeah. Um, And even up until that point, like, we only also know that when Jennifer and Needy were kids and in the sandbox and Jennifer, like, gets, like, a tack in her hand or some kind of nail in her hand. She's like, don't tell my mom she's going to freak out. And it's the only other time that we hear about Jennifer's family. We don't know if she has siblings, what her parents are like, her relationship with her family, what they treat her like, anything. There is nothing to humanize her throughout this entire movie. Um, And I'm going to argue, I don't think that Jennifer is as mean as she is portrayed in her demon form. Because I agree when she's waving in her little cheerleader thing, like the way her shoulders go up and she like smile and she's so happy. And it's like, she's so disappointed when she finds out that needy's supposed to hang out with her boyfriend and the boo cross out needy. Like it's sad. And they clearly have inside jokes. Like what's up, Monistat? Hey, Vagisil, whatever. Like they're clearly good friends. And I don't think that she's supposed to be as mean as demon Jennifer makes it seem or the jennifer's evil yeah i knew that no not like high school evil like actually evil and i think that everyone else assumes that jennifer's this bitchy person so they treat her that way but we never get to see what she's actually like yeah all of the representation of her is through other people she can't say who she really is Mm -hmm. i'd also just like to say this movie doesn't introduce us to jennifer first we're introduced to needy first in both, because we didn't watch the extended edition. Uh, before anyone wants to come at me, extended edition and the non-extended edition. Margot has not seen the extended edition. The extended edition starts in the correctional facility, and we get to see a lot more of Needy in the prison. 
Um, mm, okay. And she says, like, I love this line that she gets more letters than Santa Claus and, like, some other people. Like, she's, like, just talking about how much letters she gets, and it pans, and you see all of these letters just littered across the floor. And it's, like, people writing that she can have Jesus back in her heart, and she forgives them. And, like, they mention that slightly in in the non they mention that slightly in the non extended version. Yeah, they mention it, but you don't see like how many letters. How many? And okay, she does have like it. a ton of letters. And like she is this very popular girl, which I think is so weird that she's convicted and she's seen almost as this idol, like and she's worshipped as a god almost. Not weird to me. I've I've watched one too many serial killer documentaries. Not like in the serial killer. Not weird to me. That's not weird. It's just in the stark contrast of how we're supposed to view Jennifer as the bad guy. But the needy is kind of viewed almost as like this god-like figure. Almost as if like the the virgin and the vixen dichotomy kind of thing. Where it's Jennifer's supposed to be bad. She's a bad, bad girl. She has sex. She's terrible. Needy is pure. And she's the good girl and we worship her. And I just think that's really interesting yeah. in a movie called Jennifer's Body. A movie that should be about Jennifer. Especially with the ending. Because I think, well, that's like kind of the whole point of it is the, you think the movie's going to be about Jennifer. The movie is not. It's about Needy. Yeah. And even Needy, I think, is such an interesting character because everyone in her life calls her Needy. Her name is Anita. No one calls yeah. her Anita. Her mom calls her needy. Her boyfriend calls her needy. Jennifer calls her needy. Um, Colin calls her needy. And I get everyone has nicknames, but to call someone consistently needy is so fucked up. Yeah, it is. Especially because it didn't seem like she liked that nickname. I think she felt very, like, it seems like she was just such a resigned character for the most, for the majority of the movie. She was just kind of resigned um, resigned to doing whatever Jennifer wanted, wearing what she wanted, resigned to making Chip happy and doing whatever Chip wanted her to do, resigned to just being this high school girl, resigned to sitting on the bleachers. Like, she didn't really have much of a say until she started researching the occult, and that's when you see the shift of, I'm going to be different. Like, really, once she loses her virginity, because I guess she loses her virginity, sees Colin being murdered, and that's when the shift happens. Yeah. Which is the classic end of innocence that gets tied with losing your virginity. That you become a different person after you lose your virginity. Which I think part of it... So we know that she shared blood with Jennifer. Because we see like that little cutscene where Needy like sucks the blood off of her hand as a child. Like in the sandbox. Oh, that's right. So they're, like, connected through blood, which I think is supposed to say, like, they're connected. Like, the scene's just supposed to show that they're connected. So when Jennifer's possessed by this demon, a little bit of Jennifer is still in Needy. So when Needy goes through her first sexual experience, she's even more connected with Jennifer, who's now a demon based on sexual activity. So if Jennifer's a succubus and part of her is in Needy, then once Needy has sex, she is no longer, like, innocent in a way. Like, she also kind of gets this power and, like, Mm. this strength. 
Well, they specifically talked about it when Jennifer bit her. Yeah. They said, oh, if you get bit by a demon and you don't die, you get some of the demon's powers. So it was that moment that she became a different person. So when she's actually bitten by demon Jennifer, yes, like the power transferred over. But I think because you, she could see demon Jennifer sitting all, like all weird on the couch and then the football player that I'm assuming he was a football player. He's like the big guy. Um, I don't know his name, but the second victim of Jennifer that they found out yeah. in the woods, he's also sitting yeah. there. So I think that's when it's like she has like these first few powers and like the strength unlocked, like this mental strength almost because she has to mm. go and fight Jennifer and kind of cut off her friend and resign to kill her friend. Like she's kind of also in still the same person, ironically, because she's resigned to taking on the responsibility of killing Jennifer, resigned to t- killing the demon. She doesn't. Like, no one believes her, so it's not like she could go get help. But she didn't show Chip the occult book. She didn't try to show Chip, like, anything. She just said, she's a demon, don't go to the school dance. And then nothing else. Like, she doesn't even try to, like, show Chip all of the research. I will say it did kind of crack me up the 30 seconds of school dance that we got. And then nothing happened in the school dance. Like, they were like, this is going for Carrie? No, it's not. Like, they really... um, But I... So one of the things that I read about today talked about how this movie is different because instead of being, like, a sexy slasher, like, cheerleader slasher, there is no male character in this that the audience can relate to, but there are female characters that the audience can relate to. No male character even survives. Except for the taxi driver. Yeah. Or the hitchhike driver. Which, which like, is the most small character. <laughs> I guess, like, maybe the guards technically also survive. But yeah, like, there are nameless characters who survive, but no man who gets a name or more than 30 seconds of scream time survives. Yeah. I would also, I kind of touched on this a little bit, but again, 2009, alt-rock band takes advantage of a fan in the back of their van. After the Me Too movement, a lot of girls came forward about going to see some of, like, the same genre, getting taken backstage, and they were underage, and it's, you know, and then when Jennifer survives, she's not the same, and I feel like it's... Definitely, like, a me- like she's almost a metaphor for sexual assault victims as well. Because she comes back, and people don't like that she comes back, and she's angry and pissed off, and she takes it out on the same gender of people who hurt her. And people don't like it. That's People don't like when people act like that. That's a big... No. <laughs> that's a big commentary that I saw people talk about, is that, like, this... The Me Too movement brought this movie back as like a cult classic yeah because it takes on an entirely different meaning after that it really does and i think the waterfall is supposed to be a metaphor for the legal system because you keep throwing shit in and nothing happens until the end of the movie where um needy is going through and she sees like all of the little orange balls and the knife there so she finds where the waterfall lets out So she can go get revenge. But up until that point where there's definitive proof, 
and Needy has become a demon herself, or at least has demon powers, there's no justice. So it kind of feels like the movie's telling us, like, there's no justice unless you take it into your own fucking hands. Don't kill people. I would just like to add really quick, I am not saying to kill people, nor is the movie telling you to kill people. We do not advocate to kill people. I do not advocate for getting demon powers and killing alt-rock bands. Um, I also feel like the queer community is what made this movie a cult classic because, one, there are so few sapphic films, and two, I think there are very... Like, horror seems to be a very queer genre to begin with, Um, and I do think a lot of queer people gravitate towards horror because it does show different types of love, like different characters, different struggles. Um, I'd also really like to shout out the term lesbigay that is said in this movie that just seals the deal that Jennifer is in love with Needy to the point where the girl sitting randomly behind Needy is like, you guys are so lesbigay for each other. Unprompted, Needy is not talking to her. Jennifer is just waving to Needy, Needy waved back, and this girl had to insert her nose where it doesn't fucking belong. And I love it. I love the term lesbian. And the fact that this movie is so fucking camp. I mean, the queer community invented camp. Yeah. Camp is inherently queer. Yeah. And so I think because I, when watching it, I did the same thing. I was like, the fuck is happening in this movie? I don't get it. I don't get it. And then you were like, Margo, it's camp. And I was like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) Oh, now everything makes sense. Because I was doing what a lot of people did, and I was looking at it through this different lens, and then I looked at it in the way that it was supposed to be looked at, and I was like, oh, this is shitty when you look at it through the wrong lens. You should look at it through the right way. (laughs) Which I thought it was so funny. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, what are you talking about? This movie makes so much sense. What is it that I said that to? Um, you didn't like the bar scene. You thought the bar scene was confusing. Oh, the bar scene made it to me. It felt like I missed a chunk of something. Like it did not make sense to me because it was like, okay, they're playing. There's music. There's fire. Everything is being burned down. We're outside now. Okay. And she's getting like, I was like, cause for me, if there was a giant fire, I would stay there and I would wait for the fire department to show up. I wouldn't leave. And like her acting drunk after like one drink, I was like, what's happening? So, yeah. And I I told you it felt like when I watched Sucker Punch for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I tried rewatching because that movie. I was So I used to go to this gym that had a movie theater in it. Um like they had like a bunch of treadmills and like project a movie and the move like they would have a different movie every day and it just played on loop. And one of the movies was Sucker Punch and I went in and I was like, "Oh yeah, I like Sucker Punch." And I went in and like granted it was like partway through and I remember like watching Sucker Punch again. I'm like, "What the fuck? This cannot be the same movie I watched as a 14-year-old girl okay. in theaters." So so here's what happened to me. I rented that movie from the Blockbuster because I am that fucking old. Rented the movie from the Blockbuster. First of all, bullshit. Blockbuster was gone by the time that movie came out. I'm calling bullshit on this fucking story. There's no way you rented it from a Blockbuster unless you were in fucking Alaska. No, South Dakota had a Blockbuster. What? Yeah. Hold on. I gotta see when that movie came out because I don't believe you that Blockbuster would have been around. 2011. 
You mean to tell me you went to Blockbuster in the year 2011? Yeah, then Blockbuster closed in 2014. Wow, I'm jealous. The Blockbuster by my house closed in, like, 2006. I still drive by the building. The building has turned into, like, a glasses store, a KFC, like, several different things, and every time I drive by it, I'm like, that's the Blockbuster. There was a Mr. Movies in my hometown, and then that closed, too, and then they just made it a Mr. Liquor, and so they kept the same signs up. They just posted liquor over where it said movies. It's fun. Um, but anyways... I watched Sucker Punch for the first time, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. I'm missing so much. I can't understand it. I don't get it. So then I torrented it, and I realized that the Blockbuster version was missing a bunch of scenes that was in the torrented version. Like, two or three scenes that weren't in the Blockbuster version, but were in this torrented version. And I was like, in theory, this makes more sense, but... I'm even more confused now. I remember watching it in theaters. Like, I watched it in theaters, like, the way I'm assuming it probably should have been. I should go back and watch that movie again, because it... Was there a scene like a brothel where she's brought into a room with a guy? I don't remember. Okay. Like, here's the thing. It's been years since I've seen it, and it's been years since I saw it in the gym, too. Like, I just you remember might... this movie being a fever dream, and Zachary, Le- uh, no, Oscar Isaac, I think, is that it? Can we add Sucker Punch to the <sighs> final girl? <laughs> yeah, list, against please? my will, I guess we can. Yes! Against my yes! will, I say, as I say, as I'm like, yeah, I agree to that, I fully consent. Anyway, back to <laughs> Jennifer's body. Um, yes. I want to explain the bar scene, because I think the bar scene makes perfect sense. So, I, for me, it just felt like it was like, it, like, um, did you ever watch that fucking DC Comics movie? Which one? Not Justice League. The the one with Harley Quinn. The group one with Harley Quinn. Oh, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey or Suicide Squad? No. Suicide, Suicide Squad? Squad. So yeah, unfortunately, they, the first one is so bad. Okay, so here's what happened. Like, the reason why I hate that is because... They reshot a bunch of things, you know, so they tried to cut things different. And so there's a scene where they're with the Joker in a bar, but they cut it so terribly, like they cut the shots so terribly that there are things you need in movies. Like if someone is going to be standing, you need to have a shot of them standing to transition them. But in Sucker Punch, or not in Sucker Punch, in Suicide Squad, they they cut all of those small cuts out. So you see, like, the Joker sitting, Harley sitting, and then next shot, Harley standing. And you, and so it feels disjointed. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, where are we? How did we get here? Like, I'm, like, missing pieces. And for me, that bar scene felt like I was missing pieces. But everything continuity-wise made sense. I was just like... I got whiplash. <laughs> no, so here's the thing. Because when they introduce the town Devil's Kettle, it's supposed to be kind of a shithole town. This bar yeah. is a shithole bar. The band yeah. is having to set up their own electronics. You see them setting up the electronics. There is a short shot of, like, the electronics catching on fire and then the rest of the bar catching on fire. Like it, was it the electronics? Because I thought the first shot was like it was coming up from the rafters. Yeah, they showed right before that 
the outlet caught on fire okay. like it was overloaded so i think you missed that because i think you're like uh, looking at your phone for a second probably, probably. it's me and i yeah. can't watch a movie without looking at my phone constantly yeah so you were looking down so you missed that scene or like, i guess it wasn't a scene okay. but that shot it caught on fire first then it went up the rafter then it caught the rest of the bar on fire and then because it was so crowded um, Jennifer was looking at the musician like in a trance because I think it's supposed to show her in a trance like the song it tranced her because she's obsessed with this band she wants to do whatever they say she's like very compet uh, compulsive heterosexual in love with this guy like I have to be in love with this guy I have to look at him and he's the most gorgeous being I've ever seen because he's a hot rock star guitarist singer guy and then when everyone starts screaming, I think she's in. She's shown to be in shock because she's like, what is going on? Like, what's happening? Yeah. There's complete pandemonium. So she's forced out of the bar with Needy. Needy's able to think fast enough to get them out to safety. Jennifer's traumatized. Then the guy gives her a drink and pulls her off to the side. And I think in Jennifer's mind, she's like, oh, this is so fun. The guy I like likes me back. Also, I'm in shock, so I have no thoughts in my brain that says danger, danger. She just gets in the back of his creepy white van. Okay, so two thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. One, it felt like the bar burned really fast. Like, it felt like we were 10 seconds in and everyone was already trapped inside. I mean, I think that it showed, like, the fire went up to the rafters and then made all of the alcohol bottles start catching on fire too okay because that was one thing i was like whoa this is a fast fire and then i think the other thing that threw me off is that all of a sudden they were outside they were sitting on the ground outside and the band just kind of walked up as if everything was totally normal and was like hey get in my van right because they i think that they yeah needed to so that they could steal jennifer for the ritual though Well, and I think that that was kind of probably the point that the scene was making. It just really got me that I was like, you missed the outlet shot, and then that made you not understand anything. No, it was it was the thirty seconds ago you were playing music, and now you're casually wandering outside. How did you get out? You were in the back of the building, and no one else got out, and now you're just casually walking away. Yeah. But they also don't really show, like, all... They don't show them leaving or anyone else trying to leave. They just show Needy pulling Jennifer to the bathroom because everyone's crowding the door. Yeah. I I don't know if this is true, but in my mind, my headcanon, the band purposefully set up their electronics shittily in the shitty bar that's a tinderbox because old buildings are not flame resistant like new buildings like they have different not technology materials like building materials um so i also think if the band is trying to become this big shot and like Mm -hmm. very famous and they have to kill a virgin to do it and they need the tragedy what if the band is the one who locked people inside and like shut the doors also someone else was able to escape and it was the foreign exchange student whose name I can't remember. 
That's right. He was able to get out. Yeah. So people were able to like get out, but I think the band would have purposefully made it difficult for people to leave to make the tragedy bigger. So then they could say, they also did say that they saved people and like the band was trying to pull people out and save people. That's right. There was that whole thing about how they saved people. So it's not that everyone died, but a few people died. And we just don't see everyone leaving. We just see what happens to Jennifer. Okay. I might just have to watch that scene again because I don't know. You definitely need to because do you remember what the shots are called? Do you remember what those shots are called? That Jennifer... I I remember that they're white and blue. Here, I'm going to uh, set the scene. Oh, God. And see if you can figure out what they're called. No, because this is fucking hilarious. Okay? So, Jennifer goes to get two shots. One for her, one for the lead singer. Mm Mm-hmm. She comes back. They're red, white, and blue. Okay. One is filled less than the other. And she says, oh, no, tower one is a little bit shorter. Like, isn't filled as much. They're called 9-11 shots, Margot. I. The best part is I just looked it up. The movie came out on September 10th, 2009. So yeah, everyone in Europe who's like, oh, Americans are so sensitive. Like, they would feel so crazy, like, so pissed off and mad at us if we had a 9-11 shot. Bitch, we were doing this shit back in 2009. We don't give a fuck. Back to the tragedy. Mm-hmm. You said that they need a tragedy. Were you saying they need that in order to cover up killing Jennifer? No. I think that they needed it to get their name in the news. Because what really launched them, Mm. they sacrificed Jennifer, but then what the town and, like, the girl who calls Needy and Jennifer lesbian, she's saying that they, that the band, um, Low Shoulder, was pulling people out of the fire and they rescued them. And, like, a pro- the proceeds from their song through the trees is going to go to help the victims of the town. Like, this tragedy got their name in the news, which launched them into stardom. So they needed the tragedy to get their name in the news so that they could become truly famous and make it. But didn't Needy say, I was there, they weren't helping anyone? They left? Yeah. So it was just a lie. Right. But they still would have had to have some kind of tragedy so that they could still say that they were helping. All right. So if it wasn't that being on fire and like the fire, because everyone else was saying it. No one else who would have been a victim of the fire is saying that they weren't helping. It's just Needy. Well, because Needy's the only other victim of the fire that made it out. Yeah, pretty much. That we know of. Because I do think that they said other people survived. Uh, Actually, maybe they didn't. I'll have to go back and watch. But Needy, Jennifer, the foreign exchange student, are the only ones who really left. And I think at a certain point, once Jennifer is killed, I think that rewrote the narrative. And that's, like, Mm. what the sacrifice did and what people believe truly happened. So because Needy would have left, she wouldn't have been part of that. Like, I think the sacrifice was much more than just the ritual that killed Jennifer, essentially. Right, because it it still worked. Yeah. The sacrifice worked, it just also created a demon. Yeah, because they didn't do the ritual right. Which I also think it's so funny 
that he had printed out pages from the internet. He had printed that was the out most, pages. That was the most 2009. I loved like, it. Print off your map quest bullshit. Yes. Like, oh, I was just thinking that. Yes. It's so 2009. So of the times. But then Needy is going through books. Needy doesn't go online. Because if you think of Twilight in the same vein, Bella is like researching all of these random things. She doesn't think to just type in vampire, mind you. Bella is typing in all of these random cold skin. Needs blood. I wonder what that could be. But she Googles and Googles and Googles and then goes to find a book. And Needy immediately jumps into her school's occult section of the library. And that's their first thought. And the book is shown to be more accurate and safer, whereas I think the ritual got fucked up because they were stupid and fucked it up because the internet's yeah. fucked up. That was, yeah, that was a very 2009 moment. Yeah. Um, I'd also just like to say, like, within my little notes, oh, nice. My last point I noticed because I'm checking them off, it does say it feels a lot like take justice into your own hands, which I literally just said earlier today is like the whole metaphor of the movie so i'm really glad past me made that note past you Um, and present you are on the same vibe they really are and it's just jennifer's body vibe um needy is constantly dismissed that's another thing i love about anita being needy um she's constantly dismissed for feeling scared or for seeing the danger that no one else is seeing for needing the validation for asking people to listen to her she's constantly shown to be quote-unquote needy and I think her character name being needy is so perfect in that sense because I think it helps us write her off to have everyone calling her needy we write off her concerns in the same way we kind of write off Jennifer just being a bitchy demon and not worth saving and like no one ever thinks to save Jennifer who's a bitch no one ever thinks to take needy seriously yeah and it also is the like it's the evolution of being needy at the beginning to at the end being the vengeance mm-hmm. and like no longer needing help yeah and then when she's in prison she stops being needy in the sense that she needs people to like pay attention to her to needy as in needs a lot more attention from the guards and a lot more care because she's a kicker and she's constantly getting into like fights on the like in the cafeteria or on the yard like she needs to be in solitary confinement like being needy almost flips in that she needs a lot more attention as opposed to like she's looking for attention oh i took that differently i by the end of the movie i took all of that as oh that was just her big plan was to get her into solitary confinement so that she could leave it could possibly also be that but I don't think that she really has a roommate. Like, to me, that, it like, the beginning was, like, look at this dichotomy at, like, who... You meet Needy, and she's so sweet and quiet, and then you see Needy in prison, and she's horrible. And you're like, whoa, what happened to her to make her that way? And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, no, that was just her plan to get out. Yeah, which, again, the extended edition shows all of her in prison, like, more prison scenes up front. Then you see her kind of, like breaking out and she immediately goes to jennifer like that's kind of like the cut instead of like it shows her at jennifer's first in the non-extended edition at jennifer's yeah like at her house to kill her oh you're right okay yeah. you're right i had forgotten that that came before the cheerleading scene mm-hmm. okay 
I'm I'm caught up. Because they don't really introduce... Like, they introduce Needy first in both cases. Because, again, this movie isn't about Jennifer. Even though we expect everything to be about Jennifer, it's not. Nothing's about Jennifer. I didn't write down other points I want to make first. But Jennifer only goes after boys that need so i think the football player is the only one that needy doesn't point out to jennifer because needy points out the foreign exchange student and then she points out colin and then chip what do you mean by points out um so in the bar scene needy points out like hey there's what's his name the foreign exchange student because i'm terrible and i don't remember his name and then that's the first person that Jennifer kills. Like, chronologically, we don't know that that's the first person Jennifer kills until later. But that's the first true kill of Jennifer. Then Jennifer yeah. kills the football player guy. Then Jennifer kills Colin. And Needy is shown to, like, have a friendship with Colin. Yeah. And, like, it makes Chip jealous, but it also seems to make um, Jennifer jealous. And she only agrees to go out with Colin after Needy's like, yeah, he's like actually kind of a nice guy. Like she points out and puts him on Jennifer's radar. Yeah. Then Jennifer goes after Chip last. Like that's her last kind of victim. It's interesting. But I don't think the football guy. No, the football guy was given a name. But I don't remember it because it's not important. Well, and I'm thinking more like the the foreign exchange student felt more like an opportunity. Like, it, it felt like purely opportunity. Like, Jennifer had just gone through this whole thing. She had just become this demon. And she was like, oh. But it's not the first person she goes to. The first person she goes to is Needy. She she went to Needy first. Yeah, but she couldn't before. bring herself to hurt Needy or to kill Needy. So then she leaves. And then she runs into the foreign exchange student. Finds out that no one knows he's alive. And then kills him. But she didn't seek him out. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is she didn't seek out the foreign exchange student. She stumbled across him. Whereas she sought out the football player and Colin and Chip. But she wasn't going to seek out Colin until Needy put him on Jennifer's radar. That's fair. So I feel like what I'm trying to say is that Jennifer's never... Like, the foreign exchange student is an unfortunate sacrificial lamb to move the plot along. Which every horror movie kind of has to have one. But what I think consistently, because he probably would not have died if Jennifer killed Needy. But what we also see moments before Jennifer shows up, Jennifer doesn't call her mom first. Jennifer calls Chip first. Jennifer calls Chip? Not Chip. Needy calls Chip. Needy calls Chip. Needy calls Chip. She gets home. She's freaking out about the fire. Um... She calls Chip first, not her mom, not the police, not the fire station. She calls her boyfriend. Then Jennifer comes by. Jennifer can't kill Needy, eats the chicken, throws up the black vomit everywhere, runs out of the house. Black, pause on the black vomit. What the fuck was that? So I don't think that the, like, De Jennifer had just turned into a demon, and the demon has to eat human flesh. And I don't think that this is a Twilight vegetarianism switcheroo. I think it has, unless it's live flesh. I think that there could have been, which I think the biggest tragedy here is that 
we'll never get Jennifer's body where Jennifer and Needy are actually just in lesbians, like true lesbians, and then can figure out a way to use Jennifer for good. But, or like some kind of vegetarianism where Jennifer only eats live animals. So when she's eating the Boston Market chicken, the demon can't eat it. Like the demon needs human flesh. So that's why she runs out of the house because she just can't hurt Needy and then kills the foreign exchange student instead. Got it. But I think that for Needy to call Chip her boyfriend, the romantic interest first, to parallel Jennifer not going home to her parents, to her family, but going first to Needy does imply the romantic attraction that Jennifer has towards Needy. How much of Jennifer post-demon? Mm-hmm. How much is demon and how much is Jennifer? So I think the thing is, it's still Jennifer underneath it. But I do think that the succubus that overtook her has amplified being evil. Like, I think she was probably kind Mm. of mean. Like, we did see, like, the sandbox scene where Jennifer takes the doll, um... There's also, like, that reference when they're fighting in, like, the abandoned pool house that Jennifer, like, takes Needy's things or is, like, kind of a bad friend. There was all that back and forth between the two of them about that, yeah. Which I don't think we ever get a chance to actually know Jennifer. And I don't think that she could possibly be that mean. But I do think that she has some stereotypical, like, kind of mean girl vibes. She clearly does not like Chip. And there is some tension between Chip and Jennifer. Well, because it's splitting Needy's attention. That's why. But you also see, like, before Jennifer's turned into a demon, when she goes to Needy's locker and is like, come see the show with me, boo, cross out Needy for the first time, uh, Jennifer leaves and she's like, wear something cute. But she's definitely checking out Needy. And if Jennifer had done that to a man, or if it was a man doing that to Needy, then people would say it was definitely sexual and flirting. Where she's, like, leaning against the locker and playing and chewing on her hair, like, wears something cute, like, looks her up and down before leaving. That's flirting. Jennifer has been flirting with Needy. They are in lesbians. In lesbians. Yes. Which you also kind of see time and time again. Um, Chip was never surprised. When Needy was like, Jennifer's evil, he's like, yeah, I've been known. I knew she was evil. I never liked her. Um, Jennifer constantly interrupting. Like, they clearly had some kind of rivalry there. And because it was splitting Needy's time, and because Needy was so close with Jennifer, and I do think that Needy also consistently chose Jennifer over Chip, which chicks before dicks, always, always go with your girls. That four-minute dick. Which I will just like to say what a weird way to lose your virginity all of these kids keep dying you see blood on the ceiling a demon which i think when you see demon jennifer and then the football player sitting right next to it i do think that's supposed to imply that the demon killed the true jennifer and jennifer's lost yeah that's kind of right also if we take the demon shit out of it that is the most accurate description of losing your virginity as a high schooler. I love how she like looks terrified 
and traumatized. And his first thought was, am I too big? That's his first thought. It's not, are you okay? Which is also just the most 2009 thing. It's, yeah. oh, is it about me and not what did I just put you through? Yeah. Um, but so I just thought that was horrific. Um, but what I'm pointing out, because we see Jennifer being kind of sexual and like, she needs them to be scared and terrified. And I think to start off sexually and then kill them to give them the most fear. Hmm. What a fucking way to kill your victims. Yeah. Like, if that is not to say that this, like, this has to be, uh, become a cult classic because of the Me Too movement, because of that scene specifically, where it's overlaid with Needy and her boyfriend and her loss of innocence, quote-unquote, with Jennifer purposefully trying to get as much terror and needing them to be scared and needing them to be terrified and first being sexual with them and putting them into a place of such fear and loss, like men into such loss of control. Boys, not men. They're boys. And then for Jennifer to not even give a shit. And she's like, no, it's just boys. Who cares? They're just boys. Yeah, that is very much of a... Have you listened to Halsey's um, They Can't Have Love, I Want Power? No. I really liked Halsey, um, her first album, the one about Maddie Healy, uh, Badlands. And then her the album after that I didn't really like, and then I just kind of lost. Oh, my Halsey. I'm a big Halsey fan. I love all of Halsey's albums, but on Halsey's album Manic, she has a song called "Killing Boys," and it opens with that whole sequence between Jennifer and Needy. That doesn't surprise where me. It's like you're killing people. No, I'm killing boys, and that whole back and forth and ends with, "Well, that's a lose lose." And so I knew that reference because I knew that song. You should listen to that album, by the way. It's very good. Honestly, I think that might be one of the most iconic lines of the entire movie. Um, followed second by, I thought you only killed boys. I go both ways. Yeah, that kind of solidifies it as being a queer-centered story i think so yeah but the other point i would like to make is that during the sleepover that jennifer has with needy after needy kind of starts piecing together everything and that things are wrong um they play boyfriend girlfriend and they make out a little bit and jennifer is saying that she figured out all this stuff she knows all of these things about being a demon and She's unable to hurt Needy in any capacity until Needy fully rejects her and says to get out of her house. And that hurts Jennifer to such a point that Jennifer's like, fine, then I'm going to hurt you back. My girlfriend broke up with me and I'm getting revenge. And that's when Jennifer starts to go after Chip. And you see Needy wear that super ugly pink dress. But the ugly pink dress shows off Needy's cleavage. Which, earlier in the movie, cleavage is supposed to be Jennifer's thing. And you can't have cleavage be your thing. That's Jennifer's thing. So Needy was directly then challenging Jennifer by having her cleavage out and being in this very big, ugly dress that's so hard to ignore because she was trying to go against Jennifer completely in that sense. And And Jennifer stops 
Chip on his way to the dance to lure him away. And the thing that drives me insane is when Jennifer and Chip are making out, like, under the tree, and Jennifer says, tell me I'm better than Needy. Like, she is so desperate for someone to tell her that she's better than Needy. Because I think in Jennifer's mind, Needy is, like, gold standard. She's in love with Needy. She needs to be better than the girl who broke her heart by making out with her boyfriend. Um, But it's, like, at the sleepover that I think that whatever bond she and Needy has is kind of faltering. But the books say that you have to stab the demons in the heart. A blow to the heart is the surefire way to kill a demon. Yeah. And I think that it's when Needy pulls off Jennifer's BFF necklace that they both have. When Needy pulls that off, when they're fighting in the bedroom and Jennifer's like levitating, whatever. Right. That is the moment where Jennifer, I think, dies and Needy has killed her. Because once the necklace is pulled off... Then Jennifer falls to the ground, and that's when Needy can stab her. And I think that once the necklace is taken off, Jennifer, Demon Jennifer, the last shred of Jennifer that was alive, realized she had lost Needy completely, and that's what truly Mm. killed her. And that's what broke her heart, like, the final blow. Yeah, because there is that that shot where you can see Jennifer turning back into, like, a person— as yeah. she dies. And like you kind of start to see the human come back. Yeah. And then Needy stabs her. And then the mom comes in. Bad timing, mom. Really bad timing. Um, I also think that Jennifer bit Needy to protect her. And to give her the power to survive. And like really? give the powers. Yes. Um, but this is a more recent thought. Because after I saw Promising Young Woman, there's also like this whole thing with friendship bracelet or like a friendship necklace in promising young woman and spoiler alert for promising young woman at the very end you see um the survive i think cassie is her name um you see the main girl passing on her half of the friendship necklace to her co-worker because the other person like this is so hard to explain if i don't know their names but the main person from Promising Young Woman who has, who dresses up as the nurse and goes to expose the people who um, assaulted her friend in med school and like her dad's successful doctors. That character um, had her friendship necklace with her friend's name, as well as the other half that had her name. She sends the half with her name to her coworker. Because she sends out all of these envelopes with, like, um, on her death, like, if she were to die, all of these envelopes go out. And mm-hmm. she, her coworker gets the necklace. The lawyer gets information to start um, persecuting all of the people who would have assaulted the friend. Um, Bo yeah. Burnham finds out, like, it's this text message. All of the friends at this wedding start getting this text message. And then the police show up. Because there's, like, scheduled text messages where it's like, this isn't over just because you killed me kind of thing. And so from beyond the grave to, like, get Jesus vengeance Christ. for her friend and for her, like, really for her friend, not even for herself. Um, she sends out all of the information to the police where it wouldn't have gone out if they hadn't killed her. So they get in trouble for the assault and then for the murder. 
on this man's wedding day. Promising on a woman is so good, but I think with the friendship necklace in Promising on a Woman and, like, all the things done after death to protect the friend, to kind of, like, move the case along and get that vengeance, I'm seeing kind of parallels from Jennifer's body where mm-hmm. even with the loss of the friendship necklace, the BFF necklace, I think to bite Needy was to give her the power to go on and get vengeance from the band. Because I think Jennifer still knows that Needy loves her, but she's realizing, like, with the necklace being pulled off, that bond is forever broken and irreplaceable, irreparable. They're never going to go back to being friends again. Yeah. And Needy killed her first when the necklace was torn off because that's no longer her friend. Mm. Then she stabs Jennifer's body and gets the powers. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. There's a lot more symbolism in this than you'd think. There is a reason why I love this movie so much. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I have to say on Jennifer's body. I, I definitely want to watch it again now. It's such a good movie. And the costumes are so well done. Um, I'm sure that Jennifer probably killed a lot more people in between the football guy and Colin and Colin and Chip. Because she's constantly shown to be like, beautiful hot gorgeous until she's hungry and it doesn't say how long the hunger is satiated it did say it was a couple months between football player and colin like i know it was, and it's she was been... like starting to wear down fast no i think it was just a month actually okay so we could assume it usually takes her about a month to get hungry again yeah probably so then from the bar scene when jennifer dies to the dance it would have probably only been two months which is weird so yeah no it would have probably been like about two months yeah but jennifer killed two people on the first night or like within the first 24 hours because she kills the foreign exchange student then the football player then a month goes by then she kills colin then i think only a few weeks would go by and then she kills chip yeah we'd probably have to watch it again to Put together like a solid timeline. That'll be my next goal when I watch it. I'll try to put together a more solid timeline and figure out like how old they are and like kind of answer more of these timeline questions. But not that we're ever going to report back on the fucking podcast about it. It's just for me. It's just for me because once we talk about it, it probably won't be referenced. Um, Part of me wants to put Promising Young Woman in our final girl list since I did just reference it. But there is no way I can watch that movie again. It is so excellent. Yeah. It is so fantastic. It traumatized me. Watching that movie is not for the faint of heart. Um, It does get fairly emotional. Um, So I will never be able to watch that movie again, even though I thought it was fantastic and amazing. Jennifer's Body, I think, is a really good substitute, though. No, I think that's that's a great substitute. Yeah. So watch Jennifer's Body. Um, I do not want a sequel to this movie at all whatsoever. I want this to never be remade because Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, best actors for the job. There's no way you could remake this. I don't think you could. I don't think that it would pass a lot. I think it would be canceled immediately. Like, I do not think, not to sound like a boomer or like a hater, 
um, I don't think that Gen Z would allow some of the jokes. Oh, no. And that's part of, like, as stupid as it sounds, part of the charm of this movie is the nostalgia of 2009. Yeah, probably. Like, I think there's just something about the humor of the movie where it's like Jennifer has this giant gaping hole. Do you have a tampon? It seems like you might be plug in and then running out the window. That is so funny to me and like references just how, yeah, I have this giant hole and I'm bleeding, but you seem kind of bitchy. So yeah, you're probably just PMSing. Like that is so funny. That would not pass the Gen Z standards. No. But the millennials would find it hilarious. Yeah, but because we watched the movie when it came out. Just kidding. We didn't watch the movie when it came out. But we remember being 13 when the movie came. Well, how old were you in 2009? 15? That's 15. Yeah. I was in ninth grade. I was in seventh grade. Yeah. Now you guys can all figure out our ages. <laughs> I'm an adult. It's fine. Just don't be weird about it. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. That's. God, I love Jennifer's body. It's good. It's been on my list to watch. I'm surprised it's not referenced more in other pop culture. I really thought it would have been. I think it's because it kind of flopped when it first came out. I don't think people were ready for it. Like, it was definitely ahead of its time. Mm hmm. And I think that the Me Too movement did show a lot of, did kind of give people a new way to view this movie, where Jennifer's not the villain so much as she's also a victim. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely, there was much more nuance to this than was being, like, what was ready to be discussed. And I think just having it be so queer-focused in 2009. Yeah. Like, wait, when was the Hillary Duff ad where it's like, don't say gay? You know what ad I'm talking about? Because when was that? Because I feel like that's going to give a really good depiction of... 2011. That ad came out in 2011? Yeah, Think Before You Speak is showing up on YouTube 2011. So yeah, if that gives anyone extra context for why I think this movie flopped, I think that there was so much... Like, it was very queer... Very clearly queer and sapphic. And Hillary Duff had not yet ended homophobia with this ad. So. Yeah. Our Lord and Savior, Hillary Duff. Which apparently Hillary Duff is uh, managed by Scooter Braun. Or at least SB Management or whatever his fucking company's called. Not for long. <laughs> yeah, not for fucking long. But. Fun facts, because I saw that when I was searching Fun. up earlier. And we've come full circle. We really have. We've come full circle back to your favorite topic in the whole wide world. Taylor Swift. <laughs> my favorite girl in the world. I'm going to have to actively hold you back from having a Taylor Swift episode. No, here's the thing. I don't... I want to have a Taylor Swift episode. I would need to get a guest host. Or something. Like, I can't do it because there's so much to talk about. Do I talk about just her discography? Do I just talk about the Gaylor theories? Do I just talk about the re-recordings or just the concert? Like, everything she does is just too much to talk about. 
could start your whole own whole Taylor Swift podcast. Um, actually, so there's a Instagram I follow, TS Tour Tips, that is apparently starting her own podcast called Ranty Hero. God, the face you made, such a <laughs> hater. That one I don't like. I don't like that name. That one I am not a fan of. That one. Um, I. I like the play on words. Um, and I'm going to be really nice about it because I'd love to be a guest on that podcast. I'm going to manifest right <laughs> I now. I, I don't need to be a guest on it. That's fine. You, can, uh... you wouldn't. Ha- you couldn't be a guest on it. You would have to bring me on. Can you imagine if I guessed on a Taylor Swift podcast? I'd be like, so why don't you guys like Scooter? So wait, isn't she from... <laughs> Isn't she from Nashville originally? She's from Nashville, right? Did you know Taylor Swift is blonde? She bleached her hair once. It was pretty inconsequential. No one talks about it. The havoc I could wreak just from you being such a Swifty that I end up on a Taylor Swift podcast just to make everyone lose their minds. Just for me. This is why I'm a Florence gay. This is why I'm a Florence gay. It's true. This is why you have Florence. I have Taylor. And we just can't do dedicated podcasts about our pop idols, but we can't. They're in our hearts. It's always a podcast about Taylor in my heart. I love that for you. I do. Mm-hmm. I love that. I was going to say, oh, there's nothing Taylor in my background. Like, that's ridiculous. And then I realized, no, there's my water bottle. I have the water bottle You're with me. You're walking millennial poster right now yeah i guess i feel like the water bottle thing feels very well no i guess it's not very gen z it feels very online though no remember my my co-worker said it's a millennial thing to carry around your water bottles yeah but i don't think it's a millennial thing i do simply because i carried a water bottle around in all of high school maybe it is a millennial thing but doesn't everyone carry around a water bottle in high school, like, we constantly have our water bottles. I mean, I thought everybody just carried water bottles around in general. I thought that, that we just continued that from high school. I didn't know I was the weird one. So, I grew up in Colorado, and we always had our water bottles, because we're at a higher altitude. Everyone just has water all the time, because we're constantly hey, dehydrated. And yeah. we live in a desert. So, I just thought everyone always carried water bottles. But also, it's, like, a very Denver thing, because everyone's always hiking. So everyone has their Nalgene with all the stickers. I didn't realize that was just a millennial thing. I was just in ballet, so we just had water all the time. And eating disorders. (laughs) Well, yeah, you said you did ballet. You don't have to repeat it twice. (laughs) Should we say what what are we watching next? We should probably figure out what we're going to watch next. What are we watching next? What is on for next week? Next on the list that we made is Stepford Wives. So next is going to be Stepford Wives, where we talk about Stepford Wives in that movie. The 2004 version, not the 1975 version, not the Don't Worry Darling abomination. Although I will be making references to how much I hate that fucking movie next week. Oh, I haven't seen any of those. Um, I is haven't Don't seen... Worry Darling a remake of Stepford Wives? So Don't Worry Darling... Olivia Wilde, Olivia Wilde said that Don't Worry Darling was going to be a lot of things, and it was being compared to Stepford Wives, Mm. Um, and it's a bad movie, a garbage movie, that should never have been made, 
Harry Styles was a bad choice for the lead. Uh, but not for the reasons you'd think. And Florence Pugh is an absolute goddess and made the movie tolerable as long as she was on screen. And even then, she had to really carry that movie because the directing was garbage. The costumes were pretty good. Cinematography was solid. Editing was fine. Acting was good because Florence Pugh carried the movie. Um, Chris Pine was in it. He was fine. Supporting cast was fine. Harry Styles was a bad choice. And Shia LaBeouf would have been better. I kind of zoned out for a second and was like, wow, this all also applies to Twilight. <laughs> Jennifer's body or Stepford Wives? <laughs> the description you just gave of Don't Worry Darling. Oh, okay, but Twilight's so camp. Twilight really is camp. Here's the that thing. Fucking, do you remember that reel that I sent you of the the person who was like pretending to be Alice and was like, a storm's coming. You know what that means. And then yes. like walks outside and is like. Yes. Oh my God. All the memes from Hurricane <sighs> Hillary with that. Yes. No, I remember. Those were fantastic. Um, fantastic. Twilight ages. The more Twilight ages, the more camp it gets. And there's something about the Twilight fandom where it can continuously be watched and enjoyed in an ironic way. So next week we're going to talk about Stepford Wives. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be great. And we're going to work out the kinks as we go because we're brand new at this. We practiced a couple times, but like. It doesn't show. <laughs> we will figure this out as we go. It will get better, but it's already great. Right? Right? Listen, I think this is fun. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Although you can't tell by the length of this episode. Um, come back for Stepford Wives or don't. Have a great fish day or not. The choice is yours. <laughs> and scene. Oh, Scooter Braun. You want me to fill you in on some shit?